Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Britton Stepetic, and as always, welcome back to Low-Key Legends, where I am honored and humbled to interview some of the most creative people in the world, sharing nuggets of wisdom to encourage you on your creative journey. As we all strive together to become legends, my guest today is none other than Caitlin Barclay, the CEO of Scout Lab, an award-winning creative communications agency that works with brands like Cassettify, Ritual, Adidas, Wix, and Venmo. Scout Lab was named PRNet's 2023 Purpose-Driven Agency of the Year and was featured in Dialine, how Scout Lab moves humanity forward with every brand they build. She's an advisor to female-run organizations like Supermush and Journey One Ventures, as well as an angel investor in women and BIPOC-led companies like Hey Jane, Quinn, Snaptrude, and Workstream. Caitlin speaks on topics relating to women's issues, gender identity, cyber ethics, sustainability, and more. She's been recognized as Crane's 2023 Top Marketer, Forbes Next 1000, and Adweek's 2022 Pride Stars, among many others. Her writing has also been featured in McSweeney's Glamour and Fast Company. So without further ado, let's get into the episode with Caitlin Barclay. We were just chatting, but like, you're such, I didn't mention you're such a star in my life. I'm like, Britain and what you build at Rogue, like, I love, I'm such a, you have these like micro celebrities in your life where you're like, if I ever get this type of project, I'm referring it to this best in class person or you know, those people that you just like admire that are your peers. And I think peer-to-peer mentorship is like the name of the game in, in our world. And you're so that for me. Uh, uh, but like everything, everything you post, I'm like, yes, Britain, you <laughs> <laughs> did it again. Uh, um, that means so much though. I mean, cause I feel like we live in our isolated bubbles and we we're looking at the same thing for so long um, that that we can kind of lose touch. It's like, is this even cool? I've looked at it for like six months. Is this even uh, good? Am yeah. I even good? What is good? Yeah, I hear that. Exactly. Like I feel like I look at Scout Lab and the and and what you put on social, and I'm just like, how does one even get into Forbes? Like, how would I get in touch with Forbes? What is the Forbes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can go over that too if you want. I thought it could be a fun place to start, kind of jumping in the DeLorean, if you will, back into time and kind of identifying where you grew up, who you were as a kid, and the inspiration that your mother had on you as a creative individual. Finding those people that inspire you is very much, very much my mother um, initially. So I had the distinct privilege of growing up with a mom who was very entrepreneurial my entire life. So my mom and my dad met in New York and quickly after divorced. And through that divorce, divorce, my mom was really looking for a way to support herself, right? Um, and she had done some uh, kind of like recreational interior design with her friends and was very passionate about it and said, okay, like let's double down here, take a bet on herself. And she ended up uh, building a small design practice that, you know, I watched her develop and evolve over my entire childhood. And that's such a cool opportunity and like very juxtaposed to a lot of my friends where like my dad never really had a job again, actually. He was a stay at home dad my entire life um, with his partner and my mom was the entrepreneur and like the breadwinner um, through this this create this thing that she had created. And so I knew what an invoice was. I knew what client services look like. I knew having to manage an account that maybe was being a little bit difficult looked like. And I think so much of the entrepreneurial experience is getting out of your own way and realizing that like a lot of the friction you'll come up against isn't, isn't a, a personal affront or like an issue with you, it's something that you need to learn from and get past and evolve, but is kind of ubiquitous with the experience. Whereas I feel like people that have don't have the exposure to other entrepreneurs think, oh, I'm in, I'm experiencing this, I'm experiencing this friction because I shouldn't be here. Or I'm experiencing this friction because there is some some professional or poor personal or 
moral, you know, fixation that I can correct. Uh, or yeah, it means I'm not ready. And so, um, I, you know, I attribute all of my, my initial success to my mom, who even watching me move to New York without a plan, start Scout Lab when I met my co-founder Willow, and and then, you know, go through the ups and downs. My mom was always steadfast in her support of me because she knew what it took. And that's the other thing, you know, going back to where we started is finding those people that you can cheer on no matter how well you know each other. Um, because that's so important, right? Like so many people will tell you to stop or to quit or to look past those successes or forget to celebrate. And I think finding those people in your life that you can count on and to be that person back to your community that will like support and celebrate and say, keep going when it's very easy to say, give up is just so crucial to be and to have. Um, so yeah, I, I owe so much of that to, to my mom and the way I was raised. It, it is funny that way that we do need that support system way more than we ever think. And I think a lot of people view everyone else in the design space, I can't speak for everyone, but as kind of competition or enemies or like instead of that support unit. And I wonder where that mindset shift kind of comes from. And it flipped for me just kind of when I got out of school and then realized that no one had a style that I had. So it's like, oh, they're not my competition anyway. So I'm curious where you realize you could make that kind of distinction for yourself. I think that's so true. Like the world is not a pie and there's more than enough to go around. And I think, you know, the past few years been kind of uh, ominous, economically. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. We've, we've gone through so much and I, I still think that this this idea that the world is not a pie is so crucial and something that you know my co-founder willow and i i'm so grateful for so much of the values alignment that we share personally and professionally but that was that continues to be a point of view that we observe the world from and i think that lends to optimism i think that lends to being very solution oriented instead of kind of lamenting and submitting to this idea that oh there is i didn't get this because the world is constrained to a fixed mm -hmm. amount of opportunity which i just like fundamentally don't agree with um i and i also think that's that's fundamental in being a good support system and having a good support system it's because you know like base level because your friend achieves does not mean that there's less achievement achievement for you it means that you're able to celebrate this moment in time and your time is coming too because rising tides tend to lift all ships. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think observing, especially in the creative class that the world is not a pie, like if you exist that way, then like how limited is your creative thinking? How limited is like the way out is only through one door instead of finding side doors and windows that you can build and create from for yourself. I think the the just even that metaphor of of the door and kind of leading to all these different kind of creative opportunities and and I guess destinations if you will on the other side of them is a very poetic way to look at it because like you're all walking on your own path there's a million different doors to take so it's just choose the one that works for you or maybe someone will even recommend you a door to go down that will lead you to a million other opportunities. I couldn't agree more and i'm curious you know your experience with rogue but like and we were talking about this before we started but i used to be a a, a pole dance instructor so an aerial acrobat but pole was was what i taught and that's like a very stigmatized and uh like judge activity and it's so funny because uh and the way i got into it, i was like really into yoga I had like a really solid yoga practice uh, did Mysore Ashtanga for many years, which is like very athletic and disciplined. And then I was in Portland, Oregon at the time, and I wanted to do like something different and fun and took a pole dancing class. And I was just so taken aback at the women that I was surrounded by who were so bold, had no body dysmorphia whatsoever, was just like cellulite, whatever, because they were so they were so focused on what they their athletic ability and being in partnership with this apparatus, which could be a lira or silks or the static pole. 
And I think that like radically shifted the way I see saw the world like through that experience, like nearly a decade uh, doing aerial acrobatics of all sorts, but specifically pole, which is so overtly sexualized, but like extricating it from an environment where it is sexualized. So out of the club and into a private experience, mm -hmm. especially for women and non-binary folks was, was profound. And also at the same time, so many people were, you know, my family was like, you'll never like, this will be bad for you professionally. And this will be bad for your community. And I actually, because uh, of that shared kind of desire to be in a safe space to explore your body outside of social criticism to do something that was like ooh, what does a body wave without the male gaze look like mm. a lot of other very uh thoughtful and powerful women thought the same way and when i started scout lab some of my biggest clients came from the students i instructed women that were executives at meta at uh Oh, excuse me, not Meta, but like uh, Facebook, uh, mm. executives that were at Twitter, executives that were at Automatic, like these really powerful individuals that I supported and kind of was drawn to through this like shared niche experience was actually how I was able to like funnel some of my like biggest clients to date. So I guess it's just to say like one of my mantras I live by is pay attention to the things you pay attention to. And while it might not make sense why you're like attracted to like aerial acrobatics. Like mm. how does, what does this make sense? You'll find a way to weave it into how you bound into the next chapter of your life one way, shape or another. And I, I credit that time when I was like deep building a, a tech company that would be acquired by class fast in 2015 by day and then going and teaching pole instruction by night as like the most profound period of my time because I learned so many tools uh, with leadership and the type of woman I wanted to be, especially to other women during that time that I was then able to cascade into like the leader I'm trying to be now and the impact or footprint I'm trying to leave on the world as an agency owner. So pay attention to the things you pay attention to. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. I wanted to bookmark that and uh, we can touch upon becoming the leader and the message that you want to leave in the world because I want to circle back to that. But I do have to say just another note about badass moms. So my mom quit her job to run a theater for kids. She had trained as an actor but had a very successful career in HR and leadership and training and then quit that to start this theater for kids. And she actually took a pole dancing class with her employees all together. And she said it was a very incredible, empowering experience, just kind of going through the, the process. And the core strength that you have to have is insane. Wild. It's really yeah. I was like, I would go to the gym and do pull-ups in front of men. And they. I had so many people come up to me, men come up to me and be like, what is happening? Like, why can't you do 10 unassisted pull-ups, pull-ups, not chin-ups? And I was like, well, <laughs> wouldn't you like to know? Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, with women, it's like, and this is, this is my fixation with marketing as well, is like, how might we take, how might we like create a new paradigm for an existing one? So like, how might we take something in Western culture that is so overtly sexualized and make it deeply empowering? And and yeah, and like your mom and, and her coworkers is such a, an example of that. But I've seen women, women came to class because they were going through some sort of major catatonic shift in their life, like divorce or loss of identity or, you know, child rearing and all that comes, comes with that, a loss of a job, whatever it might be. And to find out what it means to, to be in their body in a very safe space is like so beautiful to watch there were like so many like crazy cool breakdowns and like rebuildings that i observed and like had the ability to kind of facilitate because i was because i was in that environment so i could talk about it all day some of my best friends who were like lawyers actually my legal counsel early on at scout lab was who i opened up a pole studio with in san francisco and was like pivotal to contract negotiations and like 
early contracts at Scout Lab. So anyways, it's, you know, again, pay attention to what you should pay attention to because you'll find your people that will, you know, help you up level to the next part of your life, no matter what. It's it's very true. It seems that people flock together with similar interests. So whatever those interests are, pay attention to like how you're spending your time. Um, I had worked to do like the Rogue Studio kind of product drop with Brooklyn Press. And we, I reached out, we had chatted. And on our first kind of intro call, he talked about how he loved jujitsu and I was doing jujitsu at the time. So we kind of connected and, and like fell into like a really cool relationship. And he gave me like a super killer deal because he loved the work. And we also had this kind of new friend friendship that popped up. So it doesn't mean that like you have to do the thing that you love, like, oh, I love pole dancing. So I'll open up a pole studio, right. but it can leverage into friendships, relationships and clients that you never saw in the future. Yeah. And to your point, like the world is not a pie and you are not a pie. You don't have <laughs> fixed ingredients that create written. You actually get to create that whole recipe as you go and add whatever to it that you feel. And like, nevertheless, unlike a pie, you are still like you're most vibrant when you add more to that pot, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so whether it's jujitsu and design and streetwear and tango lessons, like all make you so complex and interesting and compelling. And that ultimately helps you with any relationship that you're pursuing. Yeah. Professional or otherwise. Yeah. It, just the ability to get out of your skin. I think also there's something that people are attracted to people who are interesting and people who are interesting do lots of things. Yeah. And maybe that's just like a my perspective on it. But like, I think back to the the most interesting man in the world commercials. Uh, and it's just like, oh, yeah, like, I would love to be that guy. But how do you become that guy? It's like, oh, maybe I should try more things and be more adventurous and try to evolve and work on myself as much as I'm working on my actual business. Amen. True. Yeah. Like you are you are your business, like your ability mm. to attract people toward, toward you, the ability to come up with new and interesting ideas is you. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't agree with what you just said more. Maybe it's now like a perfect opportunity to jump into the mission of Scout Lab and how you may have gotten started in those early years. So you had found clients from these poll lessons and not your lawyer not prescriptively but yeah yeah not not only i'm sure i did leverage my community yeah <laughs> leverage your community but how did you fall into starting the agency what year was that and what what did those first couple of years look like because the first couple of years are never easy so i i just wanted to get a perspective on that i was in tech my entire career started at the Facebook seed fund. Even before that was at like a social enterprise startup in Portland, Oregon, um, which was really fun. And then was at the Facebook seed fund, worked with a company called wildfire that was acquired by Google. Uh, so I had these like create and was a part of startups that went nowhere, was eventually a part of uh, the founding team of a, a startup that went somewhere, was acquired by Classwest in 2015. And then, uh, and, then I was working at Levi Strauss on their e-commerce department. And it was a really cool, really cool experience. I was like, I need to understand bureaucracy. I need to understand process. I need to understand hierarchy. And so it was kind of this opportunity for me intentionally to teach myself or to gain experience teaching myself a, a huge kind of gap mm -hmm. that I had identified. And so when the 2016 election happened, a couple of things, I was in a relationship I wasn't happy in, I was at a job that just wasn't for me. And I was a bit disenfranchised with San Francisco at the moment, or mm -hmm. at that time period, I'd moved there in like 2010, 2011. And so I broke up with everything. I broke up with my partner, my job in the city, moved myself to New York with like a month to figure it out and quickly met my co-founder who was in a somewhat transient period as well, luckily. And we were galvanized by the same thing. The 2016 election had just occurred where you see some of the 
worst parts of humanity weaponized against itself. Um, deeply troubling stereotypes specifically toward marginalized community, mm -hmm. really like problematic, um, problematic language, uh, which I'm quite obsessed with, like as a kind of writer by trade and now an, an agency that works on communications. And so when I met Willow, we were kind of upset about the same things. And so over like a bottle of wine at a wine bar, <laughs> we were like, we should do something. And uh, and we we held each other accountable. We met at a coffee shop this, the next day and kind of spun our wheels and stuff until we figured out something that worked. And you know, we were kind of like, we both come from the tech world. I had this cool startup experience scaling an organization nationally. She was one of the first brand hires at Airbnb. So, and she lived all over the world scaling their brand. And so we were like, why don't we create the agency we wish we could have hired and serve mm -hmm. specifically the venture back community, which we know so well. And so we created an offering that was very prescriptive and very targeted. And it, it actually took off really quickly. Um, those early days, I look back at our new business cycle and it really does. I mean, it makes sense because we were so targeted and prescriptive, but I was like, damn, that really worked. And I think that allowed us to get a, a lot of valuable experience, learn a lot of lessons about what it means to run an agency, having no historic agency experience. I was like, how hard could this be? <laughs> Very hard. <laughs> and uh, is bliss. <laughs> yeah, a hundred. And it's also like so crucial to the experience of starting something where you're like, how hard could it be? Um, like ride that until you know the answer. And um, and yeah, and then seven years later, like here we are and you know, we, we've expanded our service offerings. We do bigger and bigger projects and um, we focus. So after the 2016 election, we're, we really wanted to apply our superpowers for good. We branded ourselves as like a purpose-driven marketing agency. And I think at the time, purpose-driven marketing meant something. It was like expanding access where it hasn't historically existed or being more inclusive. Uh, but that term is, you know, over time lost its meaning. And so what now we focus on is specializing in human and planetary health. And I think that lends to really, really purposeful work, working on some of the most regulated, hairy and pressing issues of our time, whether that's, you know, a brand that's looking to launch a sustainable and healthy nut butter and the grocery aisle. So it makes it a little bit more easy for a family to feed its kids or looking at, you know, developing ESG policies for large corporations and developing like a AI based accountability cycle. Like we, we kind of operate on the range um, and that let, lends itself to like really fun, compelling work. Do you, do you guys special, I mean, you just do like fucking cool work, but do you, <laughs> do you specialize or like, cause you do a lot of physical goods. Now we've kind of narrowed it into branding and web design and we really try to do the the through line between so whether it's a shift in the brand whether it's like a cultural shift or an identity type of shift we'll carry that into the digital world and then really try to focus in on creating experiences that feel very human and authentic but also interactive and and have a ton of flourish and panache to them i would say that panache. it comes down to like moxie or panache i love that so epic so fun <laughs> trying to be that i mean what what is life or this this job if it's not fun oh yeah i mean this whole thing is like choose your own adventure so if you're not mm -hmm. having fun you're not doing it right and that's kind of like part of specializing if you will it's like you get to choose the the adventure that you're on and the type of people that you work with and so i'm assuming this this kind of for good space is the type of people that you want in your life and would probably become kind of lifelong friends at the end of that process yes in every way like mm. my my team members are so cool they're like i look in slack at the things that they share and i'm like whoa they think differently which i really appreciate um and then and then the people that we work with so much of it is a cultural fit and i think that that cannot be understated that if you're growing an agency or existing in an agency you take on the culture of your clients so if that's a toxic culture i love like their speak if that's unhealthy uh then 
then then you'll embody that as well. And so we really try to choose industry and then of course founders and, and founding teams and marketing teams that really fit into this like culture that we're trying to create of you know doing best in class work, but always for a shared vision that we're excited about. Um I mean, one of the first things that Willow and I created when we started Scout Lab was a list of no's. So like industry specific mm -hmm. brands that we would never work with. And I still to this day we get inbounds from the wrong type of folks. And I, you know, just politely say, like, it's hard, you know, it's challenging working in a capitalist society with payroll that runs every two weeks to say no to money, but I think it's actually the lifeblood of building a positive abundant culture and it only lends itself to more work in the future you just always have to be kind of focused on that long-term vision what is the breakdown of your team how large so we're a team of 12 uh and it's across brand strategy and communications our philosophy is that the best brand strategists have the exact same expertise as communication specialists brand is sharing a story over the mm -hmm. life of a, an organization whereas communications is telling a story uh within the life cycle of a news cycle hmm. um so we work kind of intersectionally across our communications projects and brand projects from my experience it's largely leaning towards female which is amazing so i wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit we don't intentionally hire women over any other gender uh that would pre present itself um I think women tend to be expert communicators uh, and kind of like lead this field. I've, I'm really into sociolinguistic theory right now and have been doing a lot of research on the gender sex paradigm of mm. language. Um, so it is like, it is interesting looking at the field of marketing and communications and brand and seeing a lot of women and then observing the way that women have been like kind of socially um, conditioned over time. And so like why we now see, you know, in like highly mobile fields where communication uh, is at the forefront of the professional uh, service or like professional tool that's used to uh, exceed, why we see a lot of women in those spaces because that's like socially where they've existed previously. Um, Anyways, but yeah, like we have a lot of women on the team. Uh, we work with some fantastic men, non-binary folks. Uh, and I think as long as you have that shared value, shared vision of of what we're trying to do at Scout Lab, then, you know, you're welcome to work with us. <laughs> yes. I felt that it was super refreshing just because most of the people that I work with are tend to be men. And then I made the conscious shift to always include a female or someone who is of of diverse background. It's important to like really like be thoughtful about who's invited to the creative process and what that mm -hmm. means with like the shared output that you're trying to achieve. And I think always representative teams perform better. I mean, we know this through tons of research, but um, especially in the creative field where you're trying to like innovate on language making sure that you have like language disruptors which tend to be people outside of the margin uh within your team will just make for better creative creative stories so i find that your work stands out in comparison to other brands in the same space so long long-winded question but trying to get to the root of how you think and how does the work end up so good on the other side Truly, really, really kind of you to say. Um, so when we started, so back to like the way that we started. So 2016, we saw many things happening. One, like the presidential election, which was like a whole guffaw. And then at the same time, you was you were seeing some really problematic understatement marketing campaigns by multinational corporations, right? You had BIC that was like, the product is pink and so it's for women and you had Pepsi trying to appropriate Black Lives Matter and just like all of these huge misgrievances at like the highest level of brand marketing that you can achieve. And so Willow and I, as a part of our thesis for Scout Love, was like, holy shit, this is not only important for us to participate in creating language campaigns that were, we feel advanced humanity forward, which ultimately became our mission, 
But also this is a huge business opportunity because people are falling flat on their face at best and actually degrading our cultural zeitgeist at worst, right? Like really trying, really leaning into harmful stereotypes. And so what we did, and we know this to be important at the business building level, but also certainly in, in combating some of these harmful uh, generalizations that exist specifically towards marginalized communities, focusing on who you're trying to attract, which includes who you're trying to repel. Mm. So if you're trying to, you know, attract the LGBTQ community, but you're not trying to repel homophobes, that is in contrast, right? If you are trying to attract mothers, but you are not trying to repel folks that don't believe in uh, a paternal leave or, uh, you know, equal or maternal health care, then like that is at direct odds. So really unpacking who you're trying to attract, what they need, hopes, dreams, desires outside of the lens of a caricature, like at table stakes, mm. but build a really like beautiful holistic representative 360 of an identity. And then understand what are the forces that you need to combat with, with that person. Um, and I think that's so important because every brand is Googleable. Like bullshit is so pungent these days. And you see again and again, these massive corporations, the Dylan Mulvaney um, uh, snafu, absolute face plant with AB and Bev, uh, with Bud Light, um, Target, like Target even still the way that they're messaging against what they did within Pride, pulling merchandise in, um, in states that combat a lot of homophobia internally. Mm -hmm. like. There are these larger organizations that still don't get it, that still don't understand that in order to galvanize or to attract a consumer group, we have to repel one, especially in an age where so much is politicized, you know, from like saving humanity by way of climate science to who are allowed to marry. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that approach allows us to create and align on really thoughtful storytelling with our clients because we are even if we are creating a nut butter for the grocery aisle, we are considering it from such a level of depth and for, from such a level of understanding to who we're trying to market to that that kind of um, emanates off of the brand that we're able to create. So it doesn't feel so static or shallow. Um, and I really think that's, and, and organizations that value that type of work, I think tend to get ahead as well, which is why we've seen a lot of our clients, you know, outside of the work that we've done together, go on to achieve. That's a really beautiful way of looking at it because it, it immediately says, who is this for and who is this not for mm -hmm. right at the start? It like really feels authentic to like, who is this for and the why behind it? It's like, who is this for? And we're building a brand that will like protect the who is this for there's like nothing worse than like you know uh investing in a retail brand only to realize that they have like uh, factories in bangladesh like mm -hmm. the, the smoke and mirrors i think is so uh such a violation <laughs> and i think consumers again and again are looking for organizations that like walk the walk and like are consistent that i think that uh that diligence on who their audience is and a commitment to represent the values mirrored by their community is, is so crucial how do you think that organizations build that level of authenticity in a world that is kind of so dominated with social media and this kind of fast news cycle yeah i mean it has to come internally right um and we find that organizations that are set up for the long-term, like achieve better long-term yeah. outcomes. And that usually means con being considerate of like ESG components, right? How, if we are Lipton Tea, which is a great, you know, massive example of ESG done right. Like if we reinvest into the farms of which we grow our tea and, take perhaps a short-term hit so that we have long-term access to the resources required to make our product, 
might that be a better solution than burning out the resources in the short term and then not having the opportunity to extend our business in the long term. Um, and the, so there are plenty of really great examples of like ESG, which can be quite the contentious topic or initialism now. But um, I think it's always like orienting the folks that we work with, with long-term objectives. We worked with a massive retail brand uh, early on at Scout Lab that wanted to develop high, po talent, high potential talent internally. And we did this beautiful service design project. It was like kind of an employee brand um, initiative. And we found that was like, hey, hypo teams required diverse teams. And it's not like you have an absence of women, you, they, you're just not promoting them. Mm -hmm. And you haven't created an environment where people of color would feel comfortable that in this environment. And by the way, that's crucial because your retail audience are people of color and then your internal workforce is anything but. So so orienting our, our clients to be like, in the long term, you are required to change. And if you don't think about how you might do that now, then someone will eat your breakfast because the world moves so quickly. Um, and I think it's also like having plans in place. So when you go through crisis, you know how you're going to respond instead of like waiting too long or like saying something that you didn't actually mean. And and like Target mm -hmm. is a great example of that. AB and Bev, where they were, they use this incredible iconic trans creator and then said like abandon her and then tried to like uh pacify the lgbtq community through like very shallow means and and everyone was pissed like everyone was bad the bigots were pissed LGBT, lgbtq community was pissed everyone that was watching this go down was like Ugh. Yeah. Um, so it's again like if you're going knowing who you are knowing what you stand for and then being able to defend that should there ever be crisis because you plan mm -hmm. for it i think is so so important and something that's like shocking to me when i see big brands not do that type of planning adidas with kanye target with the homophobes bud light with the homophobes you know anyway <laughs> get off my soapbox <laughs> this is my third cup of coffee i'm like i could go on forever i wanted to give you an opportunity caitlin to kind of flip the script if there was any questions that you wanted to ask me there was one in particular that i thought you had on our little questionnaire before the call was this idea of vision or distraction how do you integrate what's happening in advertising and tech and the creative space and then this is the best part like remember nfts <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i thought it would be fun i'll i'll let you answer first kind of vision or distraction. How do you integrate kind of what's happening in the world? And then I can maybe follow up. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's what I've just mentioned, like always have that long-term vision and then you can parse out what is a distraction and what is a strategic pillar to that long-term vision. But yeah. What about you? In terms of adopting new technologies, I think that you can either get on the ground floor as it's happening and really dive all in, or you can wait and try and understand what it is that the market is doing, how the technology is used, and see if it applies to you as a person or as a business. And that's really my stance is, is not jumping in right at the start. It's really trying to understand the technology, understand its use case, its purpose, and does this impact my life and my business? Is this something that I'm even interested in? I think that's the question that we need to start with. Does this work for me? Do I like this? Is this something I'm capable of? If the answer is yes, then go for it. I mean, I think that's fun and, and exciting. And that's kind of like the point of new technologies. You can keep up with it so that you're always kind of in the know. Or if it doesn't work for you, then focus on what you really love and love to do, because ultimately that's what you will be known and recognized for. Yeah, that's so well said. That's so well said. What do you, with that said, like what are perhaps like cultural shifts or trends that you are excited about within the tech world or the design world? I really like a lot of what's happening in AI in terms of 
of writing because it, it helps me write. It helps me have better grammar because I suck at grammar, like super kind of dyslexic, bad in that kind of category, but I have a lot of personality in my writing. And that's what AI can't do. It can't generate my tone of voice. So I use it to try and get to a point where I can adapt something to be in my tone of voice without taking a ton of work to kind of do all of the grunt work writing or generate an idea. So when I get stuck, I can jump on that. I can jump onto um, chat GPT or Google Bard and see what I can kind of spit out really quickly. But ultimately it sucks, it sucks right now. So it's not even really worth the time and energy unless you really need that kind of extra creative boost. Cause it just doesn't get to the tone of voice. And the same thing with the art, like it doesn't have soul and it doesn't have taste. So in that case, you have to be the director. You have to guide the AI in order to get it to have any level of taste. And that takes way too much time. At this point in time, it is not worth my energy. And so I don't end up using it a lot. And that's totally fine. It doesn't work for me, but if you're good at it and you can really crush it with the AI generator, more power to you. I don't personally find it fulfilling, so it doesn't end up as a tool that I use in my tool belt. I would rather collaborate with people. And I think ultimately the, per the point of art for me is to collaborate with amazing people who have strengths and skill sets that far beyond exceed mine. And when we come together, we make something amazing, whether that's a piece of art, whether that's a project or design, that's what excites me. So if, if there's no collaboration, if there's no teamwork, if there's no people, if there's no art, craft, design, love behind it, even the errors and the mistakes, all of that stuff makes the work so exciting and fun and it becomes a challenge that you are accomplishing together. So that's the lifeblood of art and creativity to me. And that's why I'm not really into AI art and ultimately don't use it in my day-to-day -day practice. I couldn't agree with what you just said more. It's a really weird way to answer your question where I'm excited about AI because it's made people kind of wake up to their own humanity a little bit and ask themselves like what is real what is worth my time and dive further into that mm. yeah the storytelling i think of like yeah ai ai art is so interesting and like i think that there's a way that it can enable like human craft but to your point i was just chatting with the a creative director at the MoMA and she was like we have this amazing ed ruche exhibit opening up tomorrow and i'm like yeah like we are obsessed with like the story and the humanity of the creator and like how their humanity was diffused into their craft and the output of that and now what the output has evolved to mean in today's terms versus like when it first existed and so i i totally agree with you where like ai is but a tool to mm -hmm. you know support humanity's conquest but it won't hopefully like being replacement of that creativity. Um, I'm curious to know, are you doing anything like that's just totally, it's outside of your profession, you've taken up pole dancing, you're a jujitsu master, like what are you doing outside of work that's kind of like random but really lighting you up? So I went clamming with my wife and our friend and just the process of standing in the water with like a clamming rake and just like finding and foraging food was an incredible experience. So I did that and then we went and picked beach plums, uh, my wife and I, and so we're gonna turn that into jelly. So it's more like getting out into the world. And if you're vegan, that's cool. Maybe you can just dig them up and like throw them back because it's more about the process and, and just like being out in community that I found like so much love and enjoyment. Just getting salty, getting sandy. Clamming, I love that. <laughs> Clamming. specific. Yeah. Very specific. Do you have a, do you have like a, a mantra that you hold? I guess my mantra recently is just like to enrich my life through non-work related means. So like the clamming, the surfing, paddle boarding, mm -hmm. um, trying to strengthen my communication with, with my wife mm -hmm. and so I've been pivoting to reading less business books and more books about like 
psychology, humanity, and everything in between to try and become a more robust human being. Because I think through our humanity, we kind of find neat, like more like niches and other kind of things that enrich us in our creative work. So it all comes for full circle. It's just a matter of what I'm taking in, opposed to just like looking at design all day, I'm kind of trying to do other things to enrich my creative career. I love that. I love the art and science of communication is not to be ignored. And it is, I love like a self-help book. I told you uh, I'm really into sociolinguistic theory, which like English is one of the only languages which like humans get pronouns, but everything else isn't it. And mm. how that bisect us from the world around us, which is the story that we tell ourselves over and over, which might lend itself to why we exist in a world where we think humans are the top and nature is something to be dominated. Mm. Like how might we change language in order to correct that culture? So, but it's, I mean, language, language is how we construct our reality. Language is how we build relationship. It's how we build identity. It's how we build the world. And so it's, it's such a lifelong uh, academic study. <laughs> and then also being actively in the field every day. I wanted to dive into some kind of fast, furious and fun questions. You can answer them quick. You can answer them in as much depth as you want. But I think it would be fun because we were just talking about books. What is one book, movie and or show that has changed you as a person? Oh, my God. Book? Uh, <laughs> besides sociolinguistic theory. Yeah. Um, Naomi Klein, I'm reading her book. Um, this changes everything and it's melting my face off with every page. It's really good. What are you doing to kind of enrich your soul and or kind of a uh, creative career? I'm actually like super obsessed right now with this idea of like, of eco-linguistics. So I'm like surrounded by, well, yeah, I'm surrounded by books. This is Bad Environmentalism uh, by Nicole Seymour. Um, I'm reading just like a bunch of work on the way that we like society interacts with nature um, and like how the words we use anthropomorphize or objectify nature. So like mother mm -hmm. earth, um, you know, creating this like persona of the mother, which is, you know, in indigenous communities, like a great example of how those communities were in communion with nature. And then in English, where we oftentimes, again, we have pronouns, the world around us doesn't, we are often in dominion of nature. And so I've been really like having a fun time exploring that. Like what is, what is clean beauty and clean skincare and clean tech? And like, where does the word clean come from? And actually like looking at its Judeo-Christian, like puritanical roots, like, is that actually the energy that we want to bring to climate science uh, or climate solutions? And so really unpacking that, uh, doing a lot of writing. Like I love, I'm a writer when I write, when I f create time to write, that's like when I'm the most calibrated as a human. So launching into that and writing a bunch. Is it is it like more journaling or kind of exploratory writing or or like, writing with a direct purpose? I think right now I'm starting to write with a direct purpose, working on like a really big project around the language we use to solve for climate catastrophe. Oh. Um, so yeah, so we will see where that goes, but that is where I'm really obsessed right now and kind of funneling all of my focus. That's super cool though. I, I, you know, I never thought about language in this much depth. And now I'm going to just be thinking about it more so. I, I tend to think about randomly, I guess, like the etymology of words. My wife and I just looked at the root of like bonfire the other day. And it was like old English. And it was like a fire to burn bones. And we're like, oh, that doesn't relate to the word at all now. So it's <laughs> just like, where does this stuff come from? Why do we say it? 
I mean, so that that is the craft of sociolinguistics. It's like, you know, why are let's pull the trigger on a project. Like, why are we bringing guns into this rule of thumb? Why are we talking about domestic abuse? Like observing and understanding where these phrases ring around the rosy, where all of this stuff came from, and then making the conscious decision of if we want to propagate that idea or this language into the future. Um, which is again, looking at like clean, green, natural, like why are we, amplifying language from purity culture when we actually need to like probably craft new language around how we might be symbiotic with the world around us. Mm -hmm. so, so, I mean, etymology is, is a part of the science of sociolinguistics. And, and I think so as world creators, as folks in the creative craft, like so important for us to be curious about that. What would be your death row meal? Probably the cheeseburger from Jolene and Nolita. Best coffee in New York, your opinion? Nine Street Espresso. Last question for you. Living or dead, who would you love to have lunch with? So the CEO of Bernard Ricard, anyways, the big alcohol brand, um, the CEO, Anne Mukherjee, she is this really iconic character who I find, so her story is really compelling. She, her mom actually died uh, early in her life from a drunk driver. And so Anne shared her story that like, instead of like running away from or being in uh, combat with the alcohol uh, space, she decided to change it from the inside. And so uh, a lot of the work that she's done has been on responsible drinking, um, like regulating drinking, which I find to be like so fascinating. I. Uh, in my family have a lot of alcoholism. And I think taking some of the hardest parts of your life and transforming them into how you might create a better world is like so, there's so much integrity and beauty and bravery in that. And I just really admire, I really admire her. So I would have lunch with her. This chat has been amazing. So I appreciate your time and is there any kind of closing message that you would give to the audience before we sign off here? No, this was such a beautiful, beautiful chat. And I'm, I'm so grateful for your continued friendship and partnership. Let's create cool things. And that's it. That's, yeah. the, that's the tweet. Amazing. Tweets, RIP tweets, huh? Yeah, exactly. That's true. And next time we can talk about how to get into Forbes. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll let you know. Uh, <laughs> rules of the trade. So to everyone out there, remember that we are all legendary and have an amazing story of our own. So on the journey, take the time to be kind, grind, and unwind, and let's make the world a better and more creative place. Caitlin, thank you so much for being here. Cheers. So good. So good. Yeah.